Are you good with people? Maybe you're organized or have a knack for numbers. Well, then chances are you've got skills that could lead to a new career. A Google Career Certificate can help you get a foot in the door with top employers in fast-growing fields like IT support, project management, data analytics, and user experience design. It's professional-level training developed and taught by Google employees. And it's all online so you can learn around your schedule. Put your skills to work. Go to grow.google slash certificates. Heard the call to build your small business? Make it happen with a .NET domain name, the place for dreamers for 30 years and counting. Visit keepdreamingup.net for tips and advice. Whether you're just getting started or looking to grow, that's keepdreamingup.net. Hi, and welcome to The Pollsters. I'm Margie O'Mara, Democratic pollster with PSB Research. And I'm Kristen Soltis-Anderson, Republican pollster with the firm Echelon Insights. And each week we bring you the polls driving the latest news in politics, tech, and pop culture. So we didn't push out an interview show you may have noticed last weekend because while polling never takes a holiday, (laughs) the pollsters occasionally take a holiday. So we will have a great interview out next week um, with Doug Schwartz from Quinnipiac, literally stopped by uh, our office. It's a great interview. I know. He was so nice. And we did it right here in person. So um, so we look forward to pushing that out next week. And we have some cool folks on deck that we're going to record in the next few weeks. So we can give you guys all kinds of fun, fun industry, insidery, stuff that we know you guys all like. But what are the top lines this week? California, here we come. It is the end of the line for the primary season and on June 7th, California will mark the end of the republic or the presidential primary season. Um we'll take a look at the, the poll show about Hillary Clinton and Bernie Sanders' final battle. Then who wins in the empathy wars? We'll take a look at some research on 2012 ad spending and its impact on whether people think that Mitt Romney cared about people and some research on what millennials think Republicans do or don't care about. Then we'll take a look at some polling of Rust Belt voters and also talk about Gary Johnson and how pollsters are handling third parties. Moral values and what people think is morally acceptable differs greatly across different religious groups. We'll look at some Gallup data um, that's just come out on that topic. And finally, we'll look at the happiest places to travel and the sports that people like the most and how that has changed over the course of my lifetime. Right. So first we have the poll of the week, which is from MTV. So MTV has a new project, a new series called Elect This. Um, and they are doing some regular polling of their demo of 18 to 34 year olds. Uh, and then they're releasing them in like a little vi- like video top line essentially so yeah so forget about forget about podcasts they've moved on to um doing a little video explanation of some of their key numbers and i think they're calling it infographica um and it's on youtube and we'll link to all of it in the show notes and my husband loves it he's you know because he's very visual as i've said before he loves infographics whenever time like doesn't matter what the conversation is he always wants to bring it back to infographics so he was very excited when he saw this he's like oh my god I love like he would name give one of our children a middle name of infographic <laughs> be good. that's how much he likes them but they will have uh well they have a pretty cool video there and one of the things that I thought was pretty interesting from their polling release um I mean, it's probably not a surprise that some of the issues that people find important, things like guns that that's in the in the video um, and LGBT rights. But the number that I thought was pretty interesting, seven in 10 millennials say this election is exhausting. I wish it were over. 
I second the motion. <laughs> 60% admit to already experiencing election fatigue and even more 80% say, I feel like my generation can really make an impact on this election. Well, that's good. That's, you know, I guess a good outcome of feeling sort of miserable that maybe it's time to actually do something. Right. And they also find that um, they compared this data to some data that they got from four years ago and significantly more this year agree with the statement, this election is really important to my generation. 87% now compared to 75% in 2012. Yeah. And you have more saying, if you are saying I'm too busy to pay uh, with other things to pay attention, and you have fewer saying I don't know enough about the candidates to have an opinion. So, I mean, we've seen this before, and this is actually an interesting spin on this theme, which is while this election is, you know, for some people horrifying or worrying, you see a lot of respondents saying they're concerned or worried or afraid when they think about this election. That's also led to actual increase in people paying attention to it. So whether that means more turnout or more engagement, we don't know, obviously, quite yet. But that's perhaps something that could go along with this feeling worried or nervous about what about what is happening by what I mean, Donald Trump. Well, let's set Donald Trump aside for just a moment and talk a little bit about what's going on in California. Um, the Democratic presidential primary coming to a close. Bernie Sanders still fighting the good fight. Um, and some recent polling that has come out in California suggests that it might be kind of a close race there. Yeah, I mean, it might be a bit of a close race. I mean, the Huffington Post pollster tracker, you know, shows it now at single digits. There have been a few polls that have come out over the last few days. Some have shown the race close to tide. Some have shown Clinton up. I don't think there's been one that has shown Sanders up. I think all of them have shown Clinton up. It's just a matter of degrees. And the the average right now has Clinton at 48 and Sanders at 43. I think um, surely if if Sanders wins California, that'll be big news and people will, will discuss it and what it means endlessly. But, you know, ultimately, I don't think it's not going to mean anything in terms of the outcome. I think the outcome is very clearly that Clinton has the advantage in all the different ways she can have an advantage in pledge delegates and super delegates and total vote um, in, in organizational support, endorsements, et cetera. Um, it doesn't seem like that will change even if Sanders wins in California. Now that, you know, that doesn't mean that there's not going to be, uh, negotiating in terms of things of platform at the convention, those kinds of conversations that are obviously happening concurrently, according to press reports. Um, but it does mean that people are still thinking about the Democratic primary and what does it mean for the, you know, for Democratic unity. Look for a piece I'm going to have at CNBC.com soon. I don't know, I guess before the end of the week. This is Thursday. So some today or tomorrow talking about all the different numbers on unity. We talked about some of these last week um, that they're actually a little bit better than they were in 2008 on some of these measures. So um, I don't know if any of that stuff scrambles. If something different happens in California, we'll see. But, um, you know, it's going to be, I guess, nonetheless, something that people are going to get excited looking at. I don't know. I mean, meanwhile, Trump cruise to victory in his Republican primary without that much of a fight. He's obviously damp, still damaged. So, you know, I, so I, it, it's not like going through a primary, a tough, bat, long battle ends up meaning that you're damaged and not going through a long battle means that you're not damaged because obviously that's not true when we look at the election currently. Yeah. I mean, Trump is, Trump has been attacked by his opponents, but, you know, he's had a couple of weeks now where he's not been attacked by people on his own 
side. Right. And so the, I, the, the question still remains, how much will things change for Hillary Clinton if and when she becomes the presumptive nominee? And I wonder if media outlets, you know, because of the way the Democratic Party does pledge delegates versus superdelegates, I remember Chuck Todd saying that, you know, they would call Donald Trump the presumptive nominee once he was the only man left standing. Or once he had secured that 1237 number Mm. and they were able to call him the presumptive nominee before he locked up 1237 because everybody else had suspended their campaign. Um, In this case, if Bernie Sanders does not suspend his campaign and neither of them has a majority of the pledged delegates, will a news outlet like NBC count superdelegates in that calculation and begin referring to Hillary Clinton as the presumptive nominee or will they not? say that until after the conventions. I'm kind of curious. Yeah. No, I don't know. I mean, they probably would continue to refer to her the way that they've been referring to her so far. Well, I assume that they – I assume that that unpledged delegates who come out and publicly state – how they'll vote will affect things because I, I I remember I was doing a segment last week on like Fox. It was the day that Trump hit 1237. And the reason he hit 1237 is because some delegate in like Oklahoma or North Dakota came out and publicly said, yep, I'm an unpledged Republican delegate, but I'm for Trump. And mm-hmm. that was like, you were Mr. 1237 or Miss 1237. So. <laughs> balloons come. Balloons come out. <laughs> the balloon drop Gold comes. balloons <laughs> for Trump. So um, there's also some other polling about the challenges that Hillary Clinton may be facing. Of course, there have been some headlines this week about the FBI's investigation into the private email server that Hillary Clinton used while Secretary of State. Um, Morning Consult did a poll where they they wanted to find out how much of an issue is this in people's minds. Both the private email server question and the question about the paid speeches she gave um, as Secretary of State uh, and or that she gave after she left the office of Secretary of State. Excuse me. Um, that 48 percent of people in this morning consult poll say that they view Hillary Clinton using a private email address as a major problem. 24 percent say minor problem. 18 percent not a problem at all. And 10 percent say they have no opinion. Um, there's a big difference or a, a slight difference, not a big difference, between the percentage of people who say that the use of the personal server was illegal. About half say that. But then when you frame it as is it ethical or unethical, 58 percent say they view it as unethical to have used a private email server. On the issue of the speech transcripts, it seems as though people know a little bit less about that. Only 29% of people say they've heard a lot about the story. Um, people generally are saying in this poll that they think she should release the transcript, although it's it, it's not clear to me. I'd love to have known uh, if they'd – I would love to have seen a parallel question about do you think it's a major problem or a minor problem about the transcripts. Well, and the other thing from these questions, I, I, I don't want to sugarcoat it. These questions show some, you know, some troubling, uh, you know, they're troubling for Clinton for sure. On the other hand, these questions ask, are they a major problem? You know, what do you think? Do you think it's a major problem? It's almost asking folks to be handicappers of what they think th- these results mean for the campaign. It's not clear if people are responding through the lens of like, I think it's a problem. I think this is, you know, a problem for me. In voting for her, they think it's a problem. You could say it doesn't matter to me, but I think it's a problem because I see other voters worried about it. It's not totally clear the lens through which people are are viewing that. You want to ask it. You'd want to also ask it. They obviously have a lot of questions on, in here on this topic, but you'd also want to ask it like, does this change your vote? And then look at the people who are actually persuadable, not the people who are probably not going to vote for her anyway, because I right. would bet we don't have the partisan breakouts here. But I'm willing to hazard a guess that <laughs> they are pretty partisan in terms of how people – 
I've been doing this a while. <laughs> I'm going to go out of limb here. I have a feeling the responses to the email server and the speeches are going to be partisan, um, you know, breakout. So I guess the question is, which I still don't know the answer to, and I don't want to be Pollyannish, like, are there a lot of swing voters, single issue voters who are going to be moved based on this, that they were otherwise on the fence, they weren't sure how they were going to vote, they're going to vote based on speech transcripts. I, you know, I still don't really think that that's a lot of people, but, it, you know, Maybe I'm maybe I'm wrong about that. Yeah, it's hard to I think pin down. Is it this one thing that's changing people's mind, or is it the accumulated weight of multiple things that all reinforce some kind of a narrative? Right. Speaking of narrative, um, yeah. So speaking of people having a, a narrative reinforced about them, there's uh, some some interesting post up by uh, John Sides. So you you may recall that John Sides and Lynn Vavrek, um, two political scientists, wrote a book all about the 2012 election, and it, they used as sort of their main source of data um, a survey that they had conducted sort of consistently uh, across the 2012 election, asking people who they were voting for and a whole bunch of questions about the different candidates. It looks to me like uh, John Sides is turning to that same data set and, and uh-huh. did a post about um, what did people think about Romney and Obama on questions of caring and empathy over the course of the election and really is bringing this all back up because now the question is, are early ads against Donald Trump portraying him as uncaring and kind of a jerk? Are they going to hurt him? Are they going to begin hurting his general election numbers? Is the cake baked? And what they found in sort of the theme of The Gamble, which is the book that they wrote, is that I don't want to say that nothing matters, <laughs> but that, <laughs> that, that, that the cake in the 2012 election was baked pretty early on and that everything people did one side or another, it was really just a, a war of a, tra- you know, side A moves two steps forward and side B counters them with another huge ad buy that are you going to make a civilization reference? I'm, I'm not going to. <laughs> and I definitely have not been playing it extensively. May may not have gone to bed pretty late last night because I had to take out the Persian Empire. Anyways, I, JK, forget this. <laughs> Let's not go down this road. This game is infuriating me. Sorry. Um, <laughs> I didn't realize I was on a list of do not discuss. No, right? it's okay. It's okay. It's okay. I'm just... I, I'm literally wearing flip-flops right now because I forgot to put my heels in my bag. I'm a hot mess today. You didn't have an advisor And I am you. blaming it in part on having stayed up too late. Your foreign not policy advisor did not tell away. you what shoes to put on. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I... So, so yeah, so in, yeah. The, in the study, he writes about did people's opinions of does Mitt Romney care about people like me? Does he care about the middle class? Does he care about the poor? Does he care about the wealthy? And was this stuff affected by that early barrage of ads that was launched by the Democrats in the spring to say Mitt Romney wants to kill people with cancer and Mitt Romney makes this person uh, – he had to build his own coffin building a stage that he was fired. And actually the data suggests that people kind of already thought that Mitt Romney cared about the wealthy and not people like them and that was already the state of play as of January. Those ads may have reinforced it but they didn't change right. people's perceptions. And it is it is a common kind of conversation that people have on smaller races. It's not just a presidential kind of question although obviously that's what people study and talk about more and you have more budget to to have these kinds of 
dialogues and exchanges on television. But for congressional races and Senate races, gubernatorial races, you are also having the conversation, should we try to communicate early so we can set the tone of the narrative and the debate? Or do we wait until people are paying closer attention a couple of weeks before the election? Or will it get lost there? Is it better to go up early where people are not really paying attention? Maybe they're on vacation. They're not even sure who's running for office. Um, but then you can get your message out a little bit more clearly. And so this suggests – well, I guess this suggests that going up early does not necessarily change things, that you might be better off waiting. Or or we could say that each election is a unique and special snowflake. This election, yes. more unique and special than most. <laughs> uh, and that it's hard to draw conclusions from past elections and say, well, it didn't work or it did work or it did change things or it didn't change things in the Romney-Obama race. Therefore, it will work or not work here, especially since Donald Trump has broken every rule that we think of yes. in American politics, right. has thrived despite doing everything in the do not do part of the American politics manual. And See, so I wonder if there are people running for state rep and state senator out there telling their, you know, one advisor or two advisors, like, I'm just going to start tweeting everything, <laughs> everything that comes oh, to my mind. I think 100 <laughs> percent. And their advisor's like, no, no, that doesn't, have you, that's have not going to work for you. YOLO Rubio? <laughs> Rubio on Twitter I think in the course of the history of Marco Rubio in politics has never quite been like late night Ruby, Twitter Rubio as right. of late where he, you know, goes after reporters and like it's not quite the same as Trump, but it's he's learned some lessons. Yeah. Yeah. He's learned some lessons from small hands. Yes. Uh, so. Meanwhile, so here's so here's a, a segue, right? So the data that John Sides and John Sides, he's really he writes really great in depth stuff. Get him on the show. Should get him on the show. I've been on a panel with him. I should I should get him on the show. Um, I think he'd be great, and he could talk about this or all the other stuff at Monkey Cage Blog. But the panel that they used for their data is YouGov, which we revealed a few weeks ago, or was revealed, and we discussed was the winner of the Pew. Bake off of online panels. Sample I, you're the big winner, you guys. But not everyone, it seems, has seen that they want no, that they got the blue no. ribbon. Yep. So, uh, so this is something we've had a lot of reader interest, er, listener reader, listener interest. I told you I'm a mess today. <laughs> listener interest in this probability versus non-probability debate. Which, for those of you who did not listen to the full David Rothschild interview and or found my overly long description of this uh, unsatisfying in some way. The, the quick description is that most polls are done by either calling people, by calling people on the phone, and you know that you're getting kind of a random sample. Um, online polling doesn't quite work like that. You have to recruit people into a panel where they've signed up and filled out a whole bunch of information about themselves. And then you can draw a random sample from your panel, but the panel itself is not a random sample of Americans right. necessarily. Right. So the the big debate therefore is probability versus non-probability. And at the moment, something like YouGov, again, it's technically non-probability. They do sophisticated weighting on the back end to make a sample reflective of what a probability-based sample would be. But ultimately their panelists are not recruited strictly in a probability fashion. Um but you have academics like John Sides and Lynn Vavrick yep. that have used YouGov. Yep. You have Pew. Huffington Post yep. uses YouGov. Yep. The Pew study found that YouGov, sample I, was the, the, the most accurate in um, 
its samples distribution of certain demographic traits. Right. Kristen Salta-Sanderson. Kristen Salta-Sanderson. Uses YouGov. I use YouGov a lot. Um, I use YouGov in particular for my studies of younger voters um, because I think the idea that you can do a survey of young voters using the phone is insane cuckoo bananas crazy pants, (laughs) to use the scientific term. Uh, So – this week, I had a survey that came out. Um, again, we used YouGov, conducted the survey for the College Republican National Committee. And I think the findings of the study are really cool. I mean, we didn't even bother asking a ballot test because the survey went into the field when it still wasn't sure who the Republican nominee was. And frankly, we kind of know how that's going to go. We, we know it's going to be ugly. Other folks do that fine. What we wanted to figure out is if Republicans wanted it not to be a bloodbath in November with young voters, what are the things they should do or say or advocate for? And more importantly, what are the things that make up the millennial mindset? So we asked a bunch of questions about things like, do you think of yourself as a risk taker or as someone who's generally more cautious? Do you prefer big change or do you like traditions? Um, you know, things that aren't really political at all. Super excited about this study. I went on Morning Joe yesterday to talk about it. Um, so if you want to find the clip, um, surely I have I have tweeted it at some point in the last 24 hours. Um, you know, we find all sorts of things about young voters saying they don't think that Republicans care as much about most issues, including, by the way, on the issue of the national debt. They think that Republicans care. Only 49 percent think Republicans care more than Democrats about the national debt. Ouch. 45 percent think that Democrats care more. If Republicans aren't crushing it on that issue, like that's that's problems. But then we also find we did some focus groups where we asked people to kind of build their own candidate and found that, you know, people, college students in particular, want candidates who care a lot about uh, a candidate who's kind to people of all walks of life. Mm-hmm. They view equality as really important and they right. view all different types of equality as very linked. Like we would have things where, you know, this candidate cares about racial equality. And they'd cross it out and they'd be like, well, racial equality and gender equality and income inequality, these are all linked together. Right. Millennials don't like labels. Yeah. They don't like labels. Intersectionality. I guess that's that's a label. I digress. Study's really cool. You can check it out at millennial.gop. Talked about it on NBC. Going from here to go talk about it on Gretchen Carlson's show on Fox News, where I'm sure I will get some fun eyelashes (laughs) since that's become a thing. But CNN would not cover... The study. Huh. Producers from CNN came back to us and said, we're sorry, we can't talk about your poll on air because it is a non-probability study. And I was like, well, that can't quite be right. Because Jen, friend of the show, polling director at CNN, used online polling when she was at the AP. Jen is is cool. She gets it. She's up with the times. Right. Love Jen. Yep. Sent her an email like, Jen, this can't be right. You guys are really not going to talk about our poll on CNN? Like, I've always known there are – so ABC, where I'm a contributor, um, Gary Langer, who is their polling director, is not a fan of things like YouGov or online polls. I've sort of always known that. Okay? New York Times, infamous for not uh, – New York Times used to have really strict standards yes. for what they did. I mean, everyone used to be very strict. And, and, and I, everybody's – Loosening up a little bit at the edges. Yeah, well, and I get why media organizations have to have standards. And a producer on Wolf Blitzer's show at one o'clock in the afternoon on a doesn't Wednesday have time. doesn't have time to vet every poll. So if you have clear criteria that says we talk about this type of poll, not this type of poll, you just make it easy. I get why news organizations have standards. I think in this case, CNN standards are very wrong. Jen confirmed for me that CNN will only allow strictly probability-based polling 
on the air. So this John Side study, yeah, stuff that gets published in academic journals. I mean, what's the alternative? The alternative is basically not talking about millennials at all because most polls of millennials are going to have an online so component. here's the way that the Harvard Institute of Politics poll gets around it. So as I mentioned – when Jen, the polling director at CNN, was at the AP, they began working with GFK, mm-hmm. which is a, a, an online polling panel. Right. But what GFK says they do differently is they don't let, you know, just anyone into their panel or their recruitment process for their panel, they say, is probability based. Right. So and you, that's what Pew, I think, does, too. So they recruit people by phone. And then if they don't have they internet access, people by they, phone, give they give you. So you're, you're getting rid of the bias or you're, you're theoretically trying to get rid of the bias of oh, well, this person doesn't have internet access. You're letting them into the panel, which is, I think, really good if you want to do a study of seniors or something or people in rural areas. That is an important thing to have. Right. Um, But I think the idea of getting a good millennial sample strictly through phone and mail recruitment strikes me as not so hot. Yeah. And so the fact that YouGov, who I've used for years, who metric after metric shows is like, best in class in in this online research. This is not just me throwing up like questions on my Twitter page and being like, hey, do you guys like Republicans? Like this is it's I mean it's I still I would also like to see those results. We'll uh, talk about those may, results. Maybe I <laughs> we have very low standards once, here at the polls. Once we finish this we'll cover that poll. <laughs> yeah. So I was just I was stunned because I I never expected that CNN would have a pr- and I also get, by the way, if we had asked a ballot test and we were coming on to be like, oh, Trump is down 10 among young voters. If you only count certain polls in your election polling, uh, OK, I, I guess I kind of get that. But we didn't even do the horse race. We didn't even do the horse race. It was you just findings about like, do millennials think of themselves as cautious or risk taking? Do they? I mean, it was I was just stunned. So CNN, love you guys. But Lots well, of, now we'll find out if they listen to the show. Plenty of other news organizations found our extremely credible poll to be extremely credible and talked about it. CNN's viewers will never get to know what millennials are thinking. What, are they Sad risk-taking? Case. Wait, I want to know the answer to the are they risk-taking. No. So they, they prefer big change over tradition, which right. is unsurprising. Unsurprising. But then more say that they consider themselves cautious than consider themselves risk-takers, huh. which is something that we've – uh, we've seen in That's things tension. like there's tension. There's there. tension there, right? Like they want big change, but they don't want to just go like they want someone else crazy to crazy full bore. You know, they they don't want to just stick with tradition, but they want to be prudent. Hmm. Alas, there's lots there to unpack that Republicans can uh, can use, I think, to be smarter in how they approach younger voters. But I was just but you can only learn about this, it if you watch. I am now MSNBC. Uh, and Fox. <laughs> I had previously been sort of an, an innocent bystander and or like an, an outside observer on this probability versus non-probability debate. And now I'm like emotionally invested. Like, wait a minute. There is a news organization out there that is holding on to some, I think, frankly, very silly. Well, I, I we got it. <laughs> we got it. I'm not. Love you, Jen. Love you, CNN. Not. It's okay. We don't. Very even, disappointed we'll see, we'll to discover this artifact. Yeah. No. It's a real. I mean, it's it's a huge. I mean, it makes a very important point about you know what are the standards and are you adjusting them to reflect the reality of the industry, the reality of what we are know you to be updating true, right? things to know yeah. based on what we know is good methodology and. Frankly, this is a study of millennials. This, in my view, is the best way you would study millennials. Yeah. The best way. But because of a sort of a blanket prohibition, poll can't get talked about. Right. 
But if you go to like CNN.com, you can find all sorts of articles of people being like, oh, this eHarmony poll of whomever says that three quarters of men like long hair. We also will cover all those like, too. Well, yeah, so we, our, our standards are real low I, why, on the show. Where is that one? We will cover anything on this show. If we it's... just disclose. This poll might be garbage, but. <laughs> but it's still funny. But right? it's still funny. Um, um, so meanwhile, an outlet that does also talk to, you know, use online polling is Bloomberg. And so my old firm, Purple, continues to do work with Bloomberg politics. And so you may have heard this referred to on Morning Joe last week. Purple Slice to which Joe Scarborough said, purple slice, not just for breakfast anymore, or I love that purple slice, or made some joke about that. And Al Hunt gave a shout out to my friend and former colleague, Doug Usher, who helped run this poll. So they did a poll of the folks in the Rust Belt. So remember, they did a poll of married women um, about a month or two ago. This is now of folks in Rust Belt states. And this, I guess this is a theme from this week. I mean, we're not really kind of digging deep of like, you know, Trump's up too in this poll. I mean, we usually don't do that anyway. But what I think we're seeing this week in particular, since it's a little bit slower than some of the other weeks in terms of major outlets pushing up polls, is that everybody's trying to come up with a new way to look at the data. There's so much polling. It's not simply about who's up, who's down. It's what else can we learn? What other groups are there? What other questions can we ask? What other kinds of an analytical tools can we use? And you can see this in some of the outlets that have done voter modeling or looking at primary voters or looking at different audiences or asking open-ended questions, which we talked to Doug about from Quinnipiac. Or, you know, the, everybody's trying to find some other way of, of, uh, of exploring what's happening. So we're not just simply asking, who do you, who do you think cares more about people like you, you know, in every outlet ad nauseum until November. So. This poll does uh, that by looking at um, Rust Belt voters. And I think what was interesting is there's this theory on the Republican side that Trump's going to kind of reshuffle the map and Rust Belt voters who are aggrieved and worried about the economic direction of the country and job loss are going to all flock to him, even if they're in traditionally Democratic states. Um, Now, not all Rust Belt states are Democratic states, but quite a few of them are, you know, places like Michigan and Wisconsin and New York and so on. Um, And this poll suggests that in fact, that doesn't seem particularly available to him currently, to Trump. Um, Clinton is up uh, with uh, voters in the Rust Belt states. Trump is only up four with white voters in Rust Belt states. And Romney won pretty substantially with white voters um, overall. So this, you know, suggests that there's potential some some worries here for Trump with this group of way of, you know, reshuffling the map, especially if you're going to have you know, southeastern and border states are going to be also shuffled in a way toward Clinton based on Trump's uh, views and statements uh, on Latinos. Um, so, you know, I, I think this is, I think, you know, just another sign of Trump being damaged. I mean, obviously, he's still the the national horse race is still tied. But if you look beneath the surface, I mean, some of these trait dimensions, things and like some of these are awesome, by the way, like which ones would be a good guest in my home. Oh, that's good. Oh, I didn't see that would one. Would be a that's good new. role model for my children. I think that's an excellent question, if I do oh, say so myself. I wonder, <laughs> was there a really, really fabulously smart woman who added that one to the survey um, at some point yes. in her career? So, mm. so, yes, I think that's a very strong question. Yeah, it would be a good role model <laughs> for my children. Um, Clinton wins that one, although not overwhelmingly. Oh, my gosh. 47% of people think that they're not sure who would be a good role model. But for that's actually the lowest Trump number out of all these it traits. It is the lowest is, Trump um, number. Like it's he, the highest not sure and the lowest Trump number. Yeah. 
but would be a good guest in my home. Yikes. That one's pretty divided, but Clinton wins, be- beats Trump. This, I, I would love to know. So what I love about questions like this is, you know, you do get to see who's leading on what things. Trump leads on will change the way Washington does business by like a huge margin. Um, Trump wins on things like knows what it takes to create jobs. Trump wins on has new ideas to lead us into the future, which surprises me. On will combat terrorist threats home and abroad. I mean, these are ones where Trump wins and then Clinton wins on things like has the right temperament, is ready to lead on day one. Um, She understands the challenges of people like me, uh, cares more about people like me, fights harder for the middle class. So this is going to come down to which of these attributes matter most. Oh, and then so then she wins on foreign policy while he's winning on combating terror. So this is I would be love to know of these attributes. Some Trump is clearly winning. Some Clinton is clearly winning. Which ones wind up being the most important? Right. Which ones one driving wind up driving the day? If you're somebody who says Trump's better on terrorism, but Clinton's better on foreign policy. So purple gang, you need to like? run a regression on this and uh, and release it, I guess. Right. Yeah, what, are the, is, what are the drivers? What are the drivers? So, um, yeah, it, it is quite interesting. And I like this. You know, we've seen this in a lot of other polling will change Washington that Trump always wins. Right. And it's kind of like I think it was Obama said during the correspondence dinner, like or maybe somebody else or maybe it was one of the comedians like we wanted, you know, change, but we just didn't specify <laughs> what kind of change. Right. I mean, it's changing the way Washington. Washington works. That's fine. That doesn't mean like scream at everybody and, you know, yell at the press and call them sleazy and not want to withstand any scrutiny. Well, yeah, people aren't loving this change (laughs) in this in this poll. Thirty one percent of people say they are afraid about this election. Nineteen percent disillusioned. Seventeen percent pessimistic. Only nine percent are enthusiastic and only 16 percent are optimistic. Yikes. Yikes, indeed. <sighs> well, that's very much like millennials. But one thing that this poll found is a segue to our ne- next topic that we're seeing a little bit more questions on. We're seeing more outlets ask this question. Would you be open to a third party candidate? Um, so for a plurality said, yeah, I'd be willing to consider a third party candidate. It's a low bar because it just said, would you be willing to consider? Sure. That's easy to commit to. But um, but that's a plurality. And um, there's been now more there been have been more outlets asking about Johnson Weld, third party candidacy, the libertarian ticket. And one poll is this Quinnipiac? No, Monmouth shows them at. Double digits, 11 points for Gary Johnson. What do you make of this? Uh, and if you look at the cross tabs, which thank you to Monmouth for releasing cross tabs. This is what I said uh, a couple weeks ago and when we talked to Doug from Quinnipiac. I, I praise him for releasing cross tabs. Here we have cross tabs on this one where 13 percent of Republican voters say they'd vote for Gary Johnson, um, which is almost as much as he gets among independents. So he is he is picking up a lot of never Trumpers. never Trumpers. A lot of hashtag never Trumpers are. I can't even say it. There's feel the burn, but for Gary, jo- sorry, I I saw it on Twitter and I was like, this is so juvenile. Because <laughs> he's put a, the pieces together. Because he's because he's a together. he's a marijuana advocate. Before it was cool, folks. If you don't remember Gary Johnson, last we heard of him. Before oh, I wasn't talking about burning like. I was talking about the feel the part. Oh, of it. I see. Got it. <laughs> it's so bad. Okay, I'm sorry. This is a this is a family show. I thought you were talking about Gary Johnson's 
marijuana ecstasy. I was talking about his last name. Oh, okay. Got it. Um, yes. <laughs> okay. Now Margie's looking at me like, Kristen, where have no, you gone? No, I, I prefer the, the marijuana. I'm, I'm going to go back to my moral issues or moral values are in decline. That's I our know. next topic. Moral values are in decline on this show. No, I'm just – I didn't even say it. I'm just repeating what I saw on Twitter yeah. and what I was like. Guys. Don't shoot the messenger. Guys. Guys. Really, are we going there? Um, so this is going to be something we'll talk about more in coming weeks. But uh, there are a lot of polls right now that are not actually testing Gary Johnson's name or it's unclear how much of an impact he will really have in the election. Um, so we are going to make sure that on this show we are uh, trying to include a lot of polls that do test the full range of major candidates running. And now that Gary yep. Johnson is getting double digits, I mean, you're you're – talking about almost qualifying for presidential debate territory yes, if this persists. Exactly. So. And you're welcome person who sent us a Facebook message asking us when we were going to talk about Gary Johnson. <laughs> we are responsive to viewer feedback. We did it. <laughs> uh, so, okay, let's, Listener, talk, let's talk about the, the moral values in decline here for a moment. <laughs> now that I have teed this up beautifully. So, yeah, Gallup. Gallup, you know, asks this from time to time, and it's probably not a surprise that folks don't feel particularly optimistic about moral values. They feel that they're in decline. That's stable. I guess that's one silver lining is that there are, it's now – it continues to be about three-quarters of America who feel that moral values are getting worse. That's about the same as it's been. Republicans more so than Democrats, probably, again, not a surprise, getting a little bit Better with Republicans, a little bit worse with Democrats, maybe. Um, but these numbers are really stable. Yeah. Like, incredibly stable. It's, it's, I, I'm, I'm actually surprised. I mean, the percentage of people who think things are getting worse versus getting better looks fairly similar to what it did, you know, 12 years ago. Uh, you've, you've seen actually, I guess a slight, we've slightly improved since the, mid to late 2000s on percentage of people saying it's getting worse. But and also, I mean, if you look back over the last four years, the percentage of Republicans saying it's getting worse has stayed in the mid 80s. The percentage of Democrats saying it's getting worse has stayed in the low 60s. There has not really been a lot of movement. No. I mean, there's also then this other question. How would you rate the overall state of moral values? Poor, only fair excellent and good combined since those are not very high individually in a plurality say poor 43 percent it hasn't re it hasn't broken 50 percent but it's getting close i mean it probably will eventually but it's been hovering in the 40s for a while now for over over a decade i mean but here's the i think the important issue and gallup has other questions on this is what are people thinking about when you ask about moral values what exactly are, what's the reference point? Because we say moral values, and you could be thinking about people being rude to each other on the subway. You could be thinking about, you know, like the things that we think of on moral values, like what Gallup asks about abortion, doctor-assisted suicide, cloning animals, gay and lesbian relations, having a baby outside marriage. Those are some. Wearing fur is one of the common polygamy, extramarital affairs. These are some of the categories of um, things that they ask about. They don't pro they don't prime people and say this is what we mean when we say moral values but this is in the same wave of work uh the values and belief poll that gallup does and uh, you know i would say as a democrat as someone on the left like some of these things well first of all the wording on some of them you know you know doctor assisted suicide that's that's not the language that folks in the death with dignity movement use but never mind that part um some of these things are 
you can include them as moral values, but there are all uh, kinds of other things that are also moral values, how we treat each other, you know, how, how you know, respect for each other, tolerance, kindness, the things you were talking about that came up in your millennial work. Mm-hmm. And that's not included here. You know, it's things like gambling, premarital sex, stem cell research, you know, that's, these are very specific, like kind of check, 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 do these meet some kind of definition of being moral. And folks on the left kind of find that like nails on a chalkboard when we include that as like a sign of moral values. Yeah. And there was, well, there, I, I did a study back a couple of months ago uh, on the eve of the Pope's visit um, for the Shriver Report where we were doing a study of American Catholics. And of all of the questions that we asked where it was like, if you do X, does that make you a bad Catholic? Um, most Catholics were pretty permissive on a lot of the things that you right. see on this list. Yep. But the one thing that they said, you can't be a good Catholic if you are not kind to the poor or if right. you're like – if you care too much about material things, I think. Or it was something about economics rather than the stuff we think of as quote-unquote social issues, which was the thing that people said. No, if you're a good Catholic, you do need to be generous and kind to the poor and, and not just materialistic and focused on making money at all costs. Right. So I thought that was very valuable to know that people do think that this – there, this drawing this line between economics and morality, I think, is kind of silly. Yeah, and it, you know the other thing too that is interesting here is the thing that's considered the least acceptable across a variety of religious groups, and they break it out by Jewish, Catholic, Protestant, Mormon, is extramarital affairs. Now, not to defend affairs here, but that's something that is. Uh, I'm just going to hazard a, another one of my <laughs> one of my guesses here is more common than things like cloning animals um, that you know uh, that people do medical testing on animals. I um, cloned humans <laughs> in my backyard last week, Margie. What are you talking about? I mean, I know people buy things that are, are tested on animals, but people don't actually do that themselves. If they saw, it, they may feel differently. You know, maybe, maybe not. But extramarital affairs, that's something that I'm suspecting is more common than this. You know, sort of single digit morally acceptable number that that it is across religious groups so you know there's a there's a discrepancy between what people say is morally acceptable and what they ultimately do that you can't really glean from these data i also remember seeing uh some cross tabs on this where it showed that it was you know people are always making the broad brush assumption oh well millennials are more permissive on stuff than older voters and it was actually extramarital affairs was one of the topics where younger voters are more disapproving than older voters because they haven't been married as long that would be my guess that was another one of my guesses ah see i was thinking it's because older voters come from like they were raised in the Mad Men era we're like this was i don't know maybe 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 we maybe. don't know the answer to that question but yeah like premarital sex is most religious groups are a majority of them aside from mormons say that that's morally acceptable but probably these numbers which range from 50 to 88 are lower than the percent that actually have premarital sex. Again, just a guess. I don't know. That's not sort of the purpose of this study, but um, it's just something to think about when we think about talking about moral values. And the last point I'll make on this is that a separate question said, regardless of, and this is also Gallup, of regardless of who wins the election, what single issue or challenge are you most interested in having the next president address? And moral issues, ethics, religion, all taken together, is at literally the bottom of the list with 2%. So... I guess this is not what people – well, it's not what people say they're going to be voting on this year. Yeah. And certainly, you know, I one of the things – so in this millennial study that came out yesterday, I had a, a couple of questions about, well, you don't ask a lot of questions about like religious values and stuff. One, it's because this is not – that's not really defining how millennials care about things. But even if you think about this election, Donald Trump, two Corinthians – 
I mean, he's not <laughs> he is not even though he's been endorsed by evangelical leaders, he is not putting like the Bible at the front of his campaign. So Who was the person who tweeted like two Corinthians walk into a bar. <laughs> I was two Corinthians too furious. I claim I mean I'm out. I'm never gonna win a you know Bible quiz of any kind. A Bible but I, pop culture reference. But I was still yeah. I still found that I still I'm also not running for Republican candidate for office, but I thought that was pretty funny. <laughs> All right, so last but not least, let's talk about some things that make us happy. It's summertime. Um everybody's gonna be doing some traveling. Uh we're kind of in a fun era of sports where you've got the basketball finals going on, you've got baseball in full swing. So we took a look at two studies. One is which countries uh, do people tend to give the happiest online reviews from? Yeah, I found this. Well, first of all, I went to the Eastern Shore this weekend and on the way out, I had to stop at a bakery. It was like a bakery where like they were had stuff for kids very clearly. And, uh, you know, I was like, okay, I bought stuff and then I wanted to, I asked if my daughter could pee in their bathroom. They're like, no. And I was like, I'm going on a yoke, but I'm going to give them a nasty review. <laughs> like, you can't let a four-year-old pee. Like, what? You know, that just seems insane. And then I thought better of it. But anyway, according to the study, the study looked at how happy different cultures are based on their the number of star – their different breakouts of their reviews, how many five-star reviews, four-star reviews, and so on from a – outlet I never heard of called Get Your Guide. And um, some of the more angry reviews came from South Korea and Mexico, while the happiest reviewers came from the Czech Republic and Russia, of all places, which I would not have expected given a similar study that came out, not similar, but comparable study that came out in the Atlantic about smiling, where you may not be surprised to learn that Russia is not home of a lot of smiling compared to other places in terms of, you know, what people associate smiling with honesty or intelligence, that that's not necessarily how people think of Russians. So, but nonetheless, they are happy because they are giving more, better, giving stronger reviews online. So if I show up in Moscow and I'm like, howdy y'all with like a really big smiley face that does not convey what I think it conveys? No, no. I I don't think I've ever actually done that or shown up anywhere and said howdy y'all <laughs> that would probably not even at the apor conference in not austin. even at the apor conference in austin yeah i uh there was listening to this uh this american life episode once and somebody was i guess they were living it was an american living in moscow and he was set up with a russian woman and they went out and she was just like talking about like how miserable everything was and he's like oh god she didn't like me at all like that's you know <laughs> <laughs> and then, then afterwards, he hears from the friends like, "Oh, she really liked you. She five had, star review. She had a great time. <laughs> five star review of your day." He's like, "What?" The? So yes, that's you know a common trope about the about the Russian experience. Anyway, so speaking of other of other things that uh, Kristen yes, likes to do, other sports, not angry reviews. Yes. Kristen likes sports. <laughs> I do. Well, uh, last weekend, uh, Memorial Day weekend, it was the Indy 500. I uh, was at a friend's wedding the week before. I got to go to Indianapolis Motor Speedway. My dad has loved auto racing my whole life, and I always kind of thought it was cool and then kind of sometimes would pretend like I thought it was cool so I could stay up late when I was a kid watching F1 races. Good and, strategy. But then sometimes was just like, ah, it's just cars driving around a track in a circle. I don't, I don't totally get it. Uh, and now I totally get it. I am in. I am sold. 
I I am a believer. And so I wanted to figure out, I mean, things like auto racing, you know, have they gotten more or less popular over time? Have things like basketball gotten more or less popular over time? And there is a great data set from Harris um, that goes back to 1985, tracking people talking about the sports that they like the most. Um, pro football, which is like the big kid on the block, dominates today. Um, the most recent polling they had on that showed uh, that, that pro football was at the top, uh, but auto racing uh, has sort of was had stayed consistent. Actually, now I'm wondering, I feel like this thing that I screen grabbed did not actually go all the way through to the future. But I did look at the poll um, and it was, you know, pro football has been very popular. Baseball has declined in popularity. Um, and you have things like men's golf that have always been the top sport of around 4% of huh. people. So. Right. So reputational challenges of football nope. doesn't make a difference. People are still addicted. Yep. They right. may know that, you know, it's maybe maybe they think it's morally unacceptable, but they do it anyways. Right. Like voting for Donald Trump or premarital sex. <laughs> wow. Well, we have our episode title. Now okay. That's <laughs> Key findings. So millennials are more engaged this election cycle. I guess that's some political lemonade, even if they are worried about it. Uh, it's dig into the data week, although it all still points to Trump being damaged but strong simultaneously. What kind of moral values do you have if you're not prioritizing things like cloning, abortion, or gay marriage, the kind shared by 98% of the electorate? Uh, Kristen is checking out new sports, and I'm going to think about writing only kind reviews, but we'll do all of it with smiles. You can find us on Twitter at, at the Pollsters or individually at at Soltis Anderson and at Margie O'Mero. We're at www.thepolsters.com where you can find our show notes. And don't forget to follow us on Facebook. I promise I'm going to get this selfie stick. We're going to do this Facebook Live thing soon. Yes. Not next week. Not next week, but, but soon. Mm, not now, Not the, not the week after, but after that. Uh, so <laughs> make sure you like us on Facebook so that you can be a part of the party when we, uh, when we finally get around to doing this. Okay. Thanks. When we listen to the radio, we never agree on the station. Classic rock. Hip-hop. Pop. Guys, quiet. The one thing we do agree on, we all want an awesome free phone. That's why we switched to MetroPCS. Stop by MetroPCS with the whole family and get four free phones of your choice from brands you love, like Samsung, Motorola, and LG when you switch. MetroPCS. Wireless. Figured out. Coverage not available in some areas. Sales tax not included in phone price. Free phone requires port. Excludes numbers on the T-Mobile network. See store for details and terms and conditions.